0: Hey, thanks for joining us at Praise Chapel. We hope you enjoy this message from our midweek service with David Diga Hernandez. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at Again, we hope you enjoy this message. I want to talk to you about worship. And I really want you to go deeper in your worship, and I really want you to grow deeper in your understanding of worship. Tonight is going to be a little more of a teaching. I'm not really going to do an altar call tonight. What was on my heart to do tonight is after I talk about worship, what better way to respond than to worship? And so that's what we're going to be doing tonight. And I know that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us. So let's just pray right now. Can I get everyone just lift your hands just for a moment? And just ask God to begin to open your heart, your mind, your spirit that you might receive this word. Come on, let's talk to the Lord. Every voice lifted. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you, Lord, that you would allow this message to go deep within our hearts. Father, let your word penetrate. Let your word take root. And let it manifest powerful fruit. That we might be people tonight who become worshipers. That we become people of your presence. Who long for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be all over the Scripture. I recommend the Bible app if you have it. If you don't, your fingers are going to get real tired, but that's okay. I know many of you are are well-versed in the Scripture here tonight. But I want to talk to you real briefly. There's so much we can say about this particular subject I I want to start with and build some of the introduction off of. But the tabernacle in the Old Testament is the road map to the presence of God today. When God told Moses to build this, 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 this tent or this meeting place, he actually showed Moses a vision in heaven, and he said, what you see up here, I want you to build something that reflects it down there. So this was something that wasn't just a regular structure. This was a structure that was modeled after what actually exists in heaven. And so Moses was given this instruction. He was told to construct this place where God would meet with his people. And the structure of the tabernacle, or the tent of meeting, was very, a very simple structure. It had what was called the outer court. Say outer court. Then there's the inner court. Say inner court. And then there's the... Most holy place, or another term that people use for it is the holy of holies. This was basically a progression that people would take to commune with God, or to have fellowship with God, or to speak with God face to face. However, at the very most holy place, in the holy of holies, in the center of it all, rested the Ark of the Covenant, which hosted the presence of God. The tangible presence of God was hosted on that Ark. He would dwell above it. Now, not everyone was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. It was only the high priest who was allowed to go in, and he would go in annually and offer this sacrifice that would atone for the sins of himself, his family, and that entire nation. But there was a process by which he had to enter. He had to perform all sorts of rituals. He had to be wearing the right garments. He had to enter basically with the right attitude, with the right approach. But some people were allowed to enter in different places, but only the high priest was allowed to go into the most holy place, the place where God met with them face to face. So, the Holy of Holies was actually taken very seriously because this was the place where God literally would dwell among His people. He would literally meet with them. And I want you to really think about that. The presence of God not manifested in a body as in His Son, not manifested in the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, but the presence of God Almighty, that same presence that dwells in heaven, that presence rested in this place. Now, this was something that was very reverenced. It was something that the people understood that they should be fearful of, because when people would enter that place without that reverence, there were consequences. But first, I want you to go to Leviticus chapter 16, And I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse 17. So Leviticus chapter 16. This is the third book of the Bible. Genesis, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. That's where you'll find it. Leviticus chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 2. This is what the Bible says. The scripture says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons, who died... After they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. So already you get a sense of how strict the Lord really is with this. Now the reason Nadab and Abihu were killed was because they brought fire that was made by man instead of fire that came from the presence of God. In other words, they tried to create a spiritual moment based on the flesh and it resulted in death instead of an encounter with God. In verse 2, the scripture says, The Lord said to Moses, Warn your brother Aaron, not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain wherever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there, and I myself, think about that. He says, I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. Notice here that the scripture mentions this curtain. Separating the inner court from the most holy place was this very tall very thick curtain that prevented anybody from being able to see into the Holy of Holies. And the only person, remember, who could go behind that curtain was the high priest. Now in verse 17, the scripture says, No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter unless he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. Now, the people who went and touched the Ark of the Covenant, the people who were careless with that presence, actually faced severe consequences. If you look in 1 Samuel chapter 6, in verse 19, the Scripture says, But the Lord killed 70 men... Think about that. The Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Just by looking, they were killed. And the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, going up uh, at the top of the chapter now. Listen to this. The Bible says, beginning verse 5, Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood, and with lyres and harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. Now I want you to think about this here. This is a celebratory moment. They're worshiping. They're enjoying the presence of God. There's the Ark of the Covenant. They're, the presence of God is before them. They have all of the instruments. All the people are joining in. It's a moment of joy. People are dancing around. It's much like what you see often in a church service when the power of God hits. There's jubilation. There's movement. There's energy. There's an uplifted whole atmosphere that changes. And look what the Bible says, verse 6. But when they came to the threshing floor, of Nakon, Yuza reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. In other words, the ark was falling over. He went to catch it. And the anger of the Lord burned against him, and God struck him down there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. Now, as serious as this is, you have to really try to imagine this. Imagine, we're all dancing here, everyone's celebrating, and then someone here on the worship team, as they're singing and dancing across the stage, just drops dead. Silence would come over that room. The celebration went to mourning in a matter of seconds. Why? Because they did not reverence the presence of God. Now, this is Old Testament thinking. This is, this is how it was then and there. Because Christ had not yet offered up Himself as a sacrifice, and they were looking forward to that covenant. But what took place in the heavenly realm after Christ had died and resurrected had not happened yet. So this was a very, uh, how should I say, fearful thing to come into the presence of God. That's how serious this was. God was very strict with who could enter. Now, Moses, think about this. Moses would go to the top of the mountain to talk to God, face-to-face, the Bible says, as, as someone would talk with a friend. He would go to the top of the mountain, and only he would be allowed to go to the top of the mountain. He would be up there for long periods of time. In fact, he wouldn't take anything with him. Some scholars believe that God himself laid meals before him. Because he would go and he would eat with the Lord, the Scripture says, but it doesn't say Moses took anything with him. So he would have that fellowship. He would have that communion with God. But then he'd have to come back down to the mountain, down to the bottom of the mountain to deal with all the rest of the people. And they weren't allowed to go up with him. But look at what the scripture says here. In Mark chapter 15. Now this is very powerful. When you understand the Old Testament thinking about the presence of God, and you see that there was that separation from from that veil that was before the ark. In other words, only only the the, the high priest could enter. Only certain people could move beyond that point, and they had to have a mediator to talk to God. Imagine if instead of praying, you had to come and talk to a man to talk to God on your behalf. It would be very inconvenient. Imagine if you had a pressing need, and instead of just beginning to talk to God, you had to move through the system. You had to pass through the rituals. You had to say, hey, can you talk to Jesus for me? Now, this is what's so powerful about what occurred in Mark chapter 15. And unless you understand the tabernacle, unless you understand how the presence of God was hosted in the Old Testament, you will not appreciate what happened when Jesus died. Look at what the Scripture says in Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse number 33, and I'm going to read verses 33 through 38. The Scripture says, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthanah, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing nearby heard this. They said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with vinegar. He poured it on a reed and offered it to Jesus to drink. Wait, he said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Verse 37, but Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Verse 38, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus died, he offered himself as that sacrifice. And that barrier that existed between God and man, that barrier that demanded rituals, that barrier that demanded work, that barrier that said you have to purify yourself before you can enter, was torn. Opening up the way for you and I to freely come and go as we please, now no longer needing a mediator who is here on earth with us, we have access to God directly. We don't have to worry about dropping dead in the glory of God. We don't have to worry about being fearful of his presence. It's open to us. No, really, I want you to think about this. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 say this. Hebrews 4, 14. So then, since we have a great high priest, who's this talking about? Who's the high priest now? Jesus. So the high priest was the only one who was allowed to enter. But look at what the scripture says. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, not entered the tabernacle, not entered the Holy of Holies, not goes through a ritual on an annual basis, this one, this high priest we have, has entered heaven itself. Not just the reflection of what was there, but he has entered the actual dwelling place of God. So this high priest... Who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God? Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. In other words, God understands your weakness, and he's no longer going to strike you down when you touch the presence. Verse 16 is very powerful. Remember in the Old Testament, picture this before we read verse 16. In the Old Testament, how did they how did they come about? It was fearful and with trembling. And the people, when, when Moses, when God had called to the nation, the people heard the voice that the mountain actually shook when God spoke from the mountaintop. And they said, We don't want to go. Why don't you go, Moses? So Moses, the only one who had that relationship, actually enters in. The scripture says that Israel knew God's actions, but Moses knew God's ways. He had that personal connection. And they would enter, when, when the ark would come, they would celebrate it. They wouldn't touch it. They would treat it real reverently. They were afraid about making a mistake in that presence. But look at what verse 16 says now. So let us come, what? Come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Now what's going to happen to us when we go there? There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So in a time when they would enter the presence of God and they understood that it could mean death, they could not possibly comprehend the access that you and I have. Now this is why I find it so unbelievably frustrating. This is why I find it... Shocking, really, that believers who understand just exactly what the presence of God is, believers who understand this access that we have been given, believers who understand that it is a privilege to enter into the presence of God, it amazes me to see people standing there and staring when we have the presence of God here with us. It amazes me that when the worship is going on, They're complaining about the song. They're complaining about the volume. They're complaining about the lights. Some of you couldn't worship because they painted this. I heard a pastor tell a story one time. He said after the church service, a woman came up to him and said, You know, pastor, I really didn't enjoy the worship service today. And he said, That's okay. We weren't worshiping you. It amazes me. That here in the presence of God, where that glory rests with us, where the power of God is present, that we can just stand there. That we can just observe. People, do you realize that we've been given access to something that people in the Old Testament could only dream of? That angels themselves look down on us and they can't comprehend what we have? We have that access. We've been given this boldness. Now, some people don't understand that the price has already been paid. The veil has already been torn. So they, they, they'll come into worship. There are several things that will disrupt someone from their worship. One of the things, first of all, is distraction. They come and they see all these things. The other thing is they think it's about them. They think it's about their breakthrough. You realize that worship is not at all, has nothing to do with your breakthrough? I I find it interesting that people will attend worship services or come to a worship service with the intent of, I'm going to receive this during the worship. Now, there's nothing wrong with expecting God to move in your life when His presence is here, but you have to understand that worship itself is never about you. You see, we don't worship God based upon our circumstances. If we worship God based upon our circumstances, then when we were going through trials, He wouldn't be worthy. But you see, God is worthy of your worship even when you're facing hell. God is worthy of your worship even when you don't understand the season that you're in. The identity of God, the value of God, the, 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 the beauty of God does not change based upon the circumstance that you face. The beauty of the Lord does not change based upon how you feel. Worship that is offered to God must be offered for one reason and one reason alone, and that's He is worthy. When we lose sight of that, our worship life begins to struggle. When we lose sight of who He is, our worship begins to wane in passion. Why? Because we're focusing on something that is not the object of our worship. When we come to worship the Lord, we have to recognize I'm here to worship you because of who you are. I'm here to worship you because of the beauty that I see in you. Think about the worship that we see going on in our own lives, what we experience. Worship is quite simply giving God glory as you see glory in him. You see it, you're wowed by it, and you give that right back. You see it, you're wowed by it, and you give it right back. So we have to come to this place where not only are we we free of distraction, but we're also free of this mindset that says it's about me. We also have to recognize that when the presence of God shows up, our, our mindset must be totally on Him. Think about Isaiah chapter 6. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture because it demonstrates, I think, in a very beautiful way, it contrasts the glory of God and the depravity of man. Here you see this beautiful display in Isaiah 6. God shows up. The prophet could see the train of God's robe filling the temple with glory. The prophet could actually see this. And the angelic hosts that are surrounding the presence of God are speaking with such power that the temple itself is being shaken to its foundations. And so here's the prophet now encountering the glory of God. And what does he say? He says, woe is me for I am undone. In the middle of an encounter with the glory of God, Isaiah the prophet looks at himself. And because he looks at himself, he recognizes that he's not qualified and is therefore distracted from the worship. Some of you... Are looking at yourself and think that you don't need to worship or that you shouldn't worship because, oh, I'm not perfect. Oh, I made a mistake. Do you realize that God is worthy of your worship even when you've made mistakes? So God is not just worthy of our worship when things are going good, not just when things are going bad, but also when you don't feel so good about yourself. We need to put that focus back on God, a- and we have to come to the realization, as I said, that the veil is no more. It's done. The work is finished. Now, I'm going to say something that may be a little controversial, because it's going to contradict a mindset in worship that, that it's, it's, it has been permeated all throughout the body of Christ. But can I just say to you that desperation is so overrated? Now I'm going to qualify this. Don't all stone me. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with having passion for God. There's nothing wrong with pursuing His presence. Or the manifestation of His presence. Because you already have His presence. But... When we come before God, we must recognize that we are not orphans, we're children, and children don't need to beg. When we come to worship the Lord, the reason we work ourselves into that desperation is because we're looking to gain an experience rather than give glory. If you come into a worship service looking for an experience, looking for an emotional touch, and this happens. I'm going to talk about this in a moment. I'm going to balance this. But I want, to, I want to set the perspective straight first. When you come into worship looking for an experience that's good for you, and you don't get it, what's the first thing you do? You reach for your emotions, and you push. I was in a church service, and I tell this story. I, don't, I think I've told it here. And there was a woman there, she was leading worship, and it was, it was just terrible, it was a terrible worship service. It was, <laughs> you, look, you can look at me, all, you can look at me all you want, like, that. you've been in those too, you know what I'm talking about. Of course, never here, I love it here. But I was in there, and, and I, and I'll tell you, I was worshiping God, but my goodness, the atmosphere was just stagnant, and just, it was I was like, I wanted to get out of there. I'm like, I'm going to go back to the, the, this is why I've learned to go into the room before I preach when I visit churches. But, but, but this lady's and she's literally just yelling at people. She's like calling them out individually. Why don't you lift your hands in the back? And I'm going, I'm like this. Okay, just. Don't, don't hurt me. And she says, she says, come on guys, this is what heaven's going to be like. And I said to myself, I sure hope not. There was nothing there. Why? Because she was trying to get that and she kept saying, press, 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 push, push, push. Right now those words scare me, because at any moment, just don't push, dear. That'd be a month early, okay? I'm learning. I'm learning. I had all the, the breathing and the uh, anyway. But 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 in other words, it's like it's like push yourself. Why? Why do you need to push? What exactly are you trying to do? The door is open. The, the veil's gone. Jesus paid the price. You know, when I worship, I don't strain. I just go right in. I don't work to get somewhere. I just enjoy where I am. Now, some would say, well, you're settling for less. No, I have everything in Christ. He, the presence of God dwells in me. I already have his presence. I'm not looking to gain His presence. So when you switch the mindset, again, passion is good, pursuit is good, and sometimes, for the sake of spiritual warfare, to break something in the atmosphere, sometimes you do have to push, but not to get God to come down. It's to get the enemy to leave. But when you worship, you must come with the mindset of, I already have His presence. He already hears me. I already have His attention. He's already in the room with me. So then worship ceases to be this strain, this begging, this, 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 this desperate climb to a mountaintop that you think you have to get to, and it changes instead to, I'm already here, let me just glorify Jesus. When you switch to that, you're going to find that your worship will change. Then true passion will come. Now, I'm going to give you some keys here, or a key, and that this will, this will, now that you have a, a mindset, a, the foundation of, of worship that I wanted to present to you, I want to talk to you about what it is that really ignites true worship. Because worship cannot be ignited in the mind. It cannot be ignited in the emotions. That, that's what I think the problem is with a lot of the, these, these philosophies concerning desperation. Um, cause in worship, they, they cause people to search from the emotions. They cause them to worship as if they're they're trying to gain something. We worship because we already have, not because we're trying to gain. We're in. And that itself sparks this, this life, this energy, this movement to our worship that couldn't otherwise be found. All worship begins as a revelation of God. You can't be in awe of something that you don't know. All true worship begins as revelation. In other words, first something is revealed to you. And when that sight of God is revealed to you, then you begin to worship. That's why some people could just sit there in the service. Because they haven't seen God. And even if you could by coaching and forcing, get them to sing and to dance and to lift their hands, they wouldn't be worshiping, they'd be singing and dancing. Worship begins in the Spirit. Worship begins when I catch a glimpse of who Jesus is. When I, by meditation, like the Word says in Psalm 1, meditate on His Word. Or something that he's done. King David often talked about in the Psalms how he would remember in former generations what he did for the children of Israel. And that would inspire chapters and chapters of the book of Psalms. He would talk about the former days or him showing his mighty power in the old days. And in remembering that, he would be inspired to worship. In the Old Testament, whenever they would encounter the presence of God, they would fall on their face and cry holy. Only when they saw Him could they cry holy. No one was crying holy when God didn't show up. The angels cry holy because they're before the throne room of God. In the book of Revelation, there's a chapter devoted entirely to worship that gives us insight into these angelic hosts looking at God and being so inspired by worship, so inspired by his person, that they're worshiping 24-7 for all of eternity. They never lose inspiration. The scripture says in John chapter 4, verse 24, For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, first of all, it means it happens deep within. First Thessalonians 5.23 tells us you're a body, a soul, and a spirit. John chapter 7, verse 38, what does it say? Jesus says, out of your, out of your, and that word translates to inner man. Out of your inner man shall flow, what? Rivers of living water. And by this, it's the scripture says he was talking about the spirit. So I worship in spirit. Worship has to begin in my spirit. It cannot begin in my emotions, and it cannot begin as a physical act. It has to begin deep within my spirit. So I worship him in my spirit first and in truth. What is that? That's revelation. And who gives us that revelation? That's the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The Holy Spirit causes us to burst with love. The Holy Spirit causes us to burst with revelation and with worship. When it's the Spirit, it doesn't have to be forced. It just flows. When it's the Holy Spirit, it overflows. And when you capture a revelation of who God is, when He touches your life, this is why, let me say this, this is why new converts are better worshipers than stagnant Christians. Because they have a fresh revelation of who he is. See, you criticize them for jumping up and down. You criticize them for getting here all excited. When in fact, they have a better glimpse of Jesus than you do right now. They have a clearer picture of who he is. Now, I'm not one who gets overly excited about really anything. You won't see me jumping up and down for sports or anything like that. But when you catch me reading the Bible by myself, I'm like, oh my gosh. That's like my coffee right there. But the truth is that the new converts are able to worship, why? Because they have a fresh revelation. I think about our brother Robert. You're crazy enough to bring a tambourine in here. (laughs) Nobody told you bring a tambourine, but you brought a tambourine, why? Because you're excited. Because you worship God. Because there's something, there's something in there that you're saying, you don't know how else to do it, but you're like, I got to express this every which way. Let me, I'm going to go celebrate the presence of God. I'm going to go celebrate who God is. He brings his tambourine. Oh, you knew I was going there. I got our brother Julio. Imagine that worship whistle in the morning there. Just don't worship near me in the morning, and I'll be good. But he bring, he comes in here. he's excited. Now I'm not saying Bring chaos here. God's a God of order, okay? There's at some point, you know I actually had in Santa Cruz there was this hippie in the middle of this worship service. remember this, Steve? In the middle of the worship service. I'm worshiping God, and we're, we're just enjoying the presence. I don't know why you didn't stop him. <laughs> you were, oh, you couldn't see him. You were behind me too. And this hippie comes on and just starts doing these weird like, <laughs> man, when I say I yelled at that guy, I don't think he's a hippie anymore. I think, he, I think he converted. No, but he came and he disrupted the service. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, is the enthusiasm has to be there. But in order for there to be enthusiasm, in order for there to be true joy, in order for there to be this, this, this bursting over, this, this overflow of the presence of God in your life, you have to have a revelation. Now, I've seen many wonderful worship leaders. We have great worship leaders here. I've been, I've been all around the world, and I've ministered alongside some of the, the, what the world would consider the greatest worship leaders, They have excellent voices and they have wonderful skills to play instruments and they have big bands and they have, you know, the the music all rehearsed and the sound dialed in just so. And while I respect those ministries and while I honor those ministries, I want to make it very clear to you that nobody can lead worship like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate worship leader. And when he is leading you in worship, what he's doing is he's, he's shedding that love of God abroad in your heart. Remember Romans 5, 5. He's bringing you the truth that inspires your spirit to burst overflowing with worship. Now, I don't really sing as good as Omar or Stephen. I'm, I'm subpar compared to you two. But what, what they'll tell you and what I can tell you, and they know this just as well as I do, is that if I were to just sing, no good. But this is why people come to the meetings flying 14 hours to be in one service. Because when I sing, I just forget the people. Like, you don't exist to me at all. And I'm just worshiping. And that same presence that visits me in my room when I'm just worshiping alone is what fills the meeting when I'm worshiping on stage. Why? Because it's led by the Holy Spirit. It's led by His voice. He's the one inspiring that. John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14 say, I told you we'd have a lot of Scripture. He says, okay, this is more than some of you have read all year, so this is good. It's true. Read the statistics, it's sad. John 16, 13 and 14 say, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus, to make Jesus real, to bring forth that revelation. Worship is adoration. It's praise. It's simply a celebration of God. Now, you've heard it said that worship is not just a slow song. It's a lifestyle. But I want to emphasize this to you as well. Worship is not just a lifestyle. It's a moment. It's a moment that we set aside for God to to consecrate ourselves and sing. You know, there is something very spiritual about singing. There is something very spiritual about music. In the Old Testament, some of the prophets wouldn't even prophesy unless they had the lyre and the harp. Why? Because music... Opens the soul. This is why it's important you're not listening to garbage because that music moves you. It opens your soul. Ask yourself what's being dumped in. Worship the skillful. The scripture says in Psalms, play, him, play skillfully for him. This is why some of you aren't allowed on the worship team because it says skillfully. We bring you our best, Lord. It's true. But it says skillfully. But it's true because music has the power to open your soul. It has the power to move you. So imagine we're singing in the presence of God. The music is playing. It's anointed by the Spirit and it opens the soul. And then we begin to worship straight from the Spirit right through our mouth. When the soul is removed, it's just spirit to the mouth. And then it goes before God as praise and as worship and as adoration. And it just pours out of us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is reminding you of what Jesus did for you. The Holy Spirit is reminding you of where you would have been had he not rescued you. The Holy Spirit reminds you of the addictions and of the sin and of the torment and of the turmoil and all of the chaos that you used to be in. And it reminds you how God picked you up and took you out of that. The Holy Spirit reminds you of how gracious God is, how loving He is, how mighty He is, how powerful He is, how, how just absolutely merciful He is. He's absolute perfection. And when you're worshiping, the Holy Spirit is bringing this. By. He will glorify me. He will glorify me. He's showing you, and therefore you're worshiping based upon what the Holy Spirit is showing you. Yes, worship is a lifestyle, but it's also a moment where we consciously set aside time to lift the name of the Lord through song and other means of expression. Your breakthrough is only incidental. Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We're going to read one last portion of Scripture, and then I'm going to be done. Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So you don't have to worry about asking for anything. You just need to get Him to come near If you could just get him, you get it all. So I'm not worried about my breakthrough. I'm not worried about what I went through. Yes, you can expect that those things will be touched on. You get in a fight on the way here, you better expect that by the end of worship, you're going to be holding your wife's hand. Very hard to worship without that, right? But when we worship, we're entering into something. Powerful man of God told me this. He said, praise brings God into your world, but worship takes you into his. It's the escape. King David said, you're my refuge. You're my strength. You're my hiding place. It's a place where you can go and just worship him. Worship is inspired by the word with the spirit. And then the Word brings worship, you worship, you see more, it goes back to the Word, and it's this cycle that never ends, but it just intensifies more and more. And you go deeper into the presence of God. And as we worship, we're transformed, we become like Moses who began to glow, or Stephen the martyr who began to glow. This is why the Scripture calls David a man after God's own heart. He was a worshiper. That's why God liked him so much. Now I'm going to read one last portion of Scripture, and then we're going to worship. Amen? Is this blessing you tonight? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Now that we've read everything we've read, this really ties it all together. This one portion of Scripture, I love the way it ties all these truths together. Since this new way, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, beginning at verse 12. Since this new way gives us such confidence, and if you don't have the Scripture, just close your eyes and listen. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. This is where, this is one of the most powerful scriptures. I love this portion of scripture. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. You can see it, and you reflect it. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. veil has been open as we worship the Lord there's this connection that is made and as that connection is being made we're being transformed so what do you do when you're struggling in your worship what do you do when you feel dry and you feel weary and the passion is gone you simply close your eyes stop begging stop trying to fight your way in Close your eyes and lift your hands And think about Who Jesus is Hey thanks for listening to this week's message From Praise Chapel Paramount If you want to stay connected Follow us online with Facebook and Instagram At PC Paramount Or visit our website at PraiseChapelParamount.com